Welcome to this episode of The Versatile Writer. To be upfront about this episode, I might have to have a little rant. Now if rants bother you on podcasts, maybe skip this episode. In my reading and writing experiences, book covers can make or break a book. That's quite a statement, but is it wholly true? Can a book cover stop someone buying your book? Let's look at this topic by considering a few questions. Why do we have book covers? From my own experiences, it appears we have book covers for two reasons. One is the practical side of things, to keep the contents clean, dirt and dust free. And the other reason is to give you a visual insight into the story, if it's fiction, and the topic, if it's non-fiction, by way of enticing you to buy it. Images are powerful. Yes, they can be. Images in all walks of life can draw you in, draw your eye to the point of the sign, they can help you avoid a road accident, excite you, anger you, calm you down, help you navigate daily activities, and help those with disabilities. Imagery for book covers is just as powerful, whether it's a photograph, a diagram, a sketch, an illustration, or a graphic. Whether the cover is colourful or monochrome, the chances are the publisher has chosen something striking, intriguing, exciting or playful, in the case of children's books, to entice custom. A powerful cover is one that attracts the eye, informs the consumer of its insides and creates a sale. In the past, some book covers have been so alluring to me that I've purchased the book purely on the strength of the cover because it was maybe one of my favourite colours and it looked really good on the shelf. Or, yeah, I can be shallow, of an attractive man. So how do you create a book cover? In traditional publishing, a cover is made for your book. Occasionally, the author may get a say in what it looks like, but most of the time, this is out of their control. Within the independent publishing community, creating a book cover takes a large skill set that, alas, most writers themselves don't have. This is why we hire a designer or buy a ready-made cover instead. Nowadays, because indie publishing is so much more acceptable than it was just a decade ago, covers are often a talking point, but not for the best reasons sometimes. Over the past 10 years, I've seen several articles, social media posts, and heard people talking about poor covers. Sometimes authors are even shamed for poor covers. Covers that are considered poor are ones that might be termed DIY, That is, it's clear that those writers who have done it themselves may not have been the best person to have created it, but, despite this, they've kept the cover anyway. The reasons for these decisions could be anything from lack of knowledge, lack of time and money, to arrogance, ego and just apathy. About 15 years ago, one of my novels, A Young Adult Story, had a cover that could now be considered poor. It was bright and colourful and did portray what the story was about, but it didn't look professional. However, in my naivety, I went ahead and published it anyway. As it turns out, looking back, the story requires some more editing too, so when I do rewrite the story and hire a designer for the cover, I'll be giving the book a different name anyway because the original book didn't do itself any justice whatsoever. This is one of those things you learn along the way when you self-publish. It's also one of those things that others judge you on as well. Although I've only had a few people judge me harshly on it, I've actually judged myself on it more. I tend to think of it as something I've learned along the way, since the whole thing is a learning process. 
and there are only a handful of copies of that novel that survive, most of them being on my own bookshelf, it means that few people will ever see my mistakes. I think the reasons authors care so much about our covers is the naming and shaming we receive and the resulting humiliation if we get it wrong. Bear in mind, wrong might just be subjective. But when you put so much effort into writing a story and publishing it for all to see and hopefully buy, and someone judges you harshly on the cover without even looking at the contents, it can be soul-destroying. Worse than that, it can stop you ever writing again, and that isn't how we should be treating each other. If you're a new writer and trying to build a brand, this naming and shaming can considerably hurt your brand, your business, and definitely your self-confidence. But what if you're trying to build a brand? Some time ago, I discovered that brands were a thing. I realised, therefore, that while I was in business, it was probably a good thing to have a brand with regard to my book covers. Therein, however, lies a problem, because I don't write in exactly the same genre every time I produce a novel. Currently, I have three novels that were self-published between 2005 and 2007, and several more that are unpublished and ready for editing or the attention of beta readers, and many more that are still works in progress. All of those total approximately 20 novels. Of those 20 novels, maybe three are of one genre, five might be another, and the rest are combinations of others. For me, as a novelist, it would be almost impossible to have a brand cover because the genres are all different. My non-fiction books face a similar problem. Of the three non-fiction I have currently for sale, I've got a pen and I'm not afraid to use it, ghosting, and writing naked. While each of them have creative writing at their heart, they're not exactly the same. They generally get lumped together with the self-help and creative writing genres. Two of them have similar covers and are mostly monochrome. This might be why I named this podcast The Versatile Writer, because versatility is often the name of the game. The only way I've found to have a brand is by giving a book and its sequel or second part or sister book a similar cover and build a book brand that way. Another way of identifying your brand is with your business logo. Mine is two linked hearts that can be seen in the word books in For the Love of Books. These hearts go onto the spines of my more recent books, that is, those that were published under my business name. If building a brand is something you want to investigate, consider using your business logo as a starting point. What if the book's jacket image is not in, trendy or fashionable? A lot of books written for a specific genre, traditional and indie, will probably have similar styles of cover. When a famous name publishes, be it Stephen King or Lee Child, or other less well-known authors' books of the same genre often have a similar style cover because the consumer will be looking for that style. So keep them near the big name and they'll have more chance of being seen and ultimately bought. But if you turn this the other way around, isn't the consumer only looking for a genre cover they've been trained to look, look out for because the publisher publishes so many in that same style? You could argue that if, if the consumer wanted a book of that specific genre and saw one that wasn't clothed in the obligatory styled cover, that the book would stand out for the best reasons. However, authors would have to dramatically rely on a consumer who would spend the time reading the synopsis and also find the book in the first place because they've been trained to look elsewhere. It can be so frustrating. What if the image you've chosen is there to make a statement? 
This sounds like it might be a good idea to get noticed, not to mention depending on the genre or subject, the book cover might also be worth a discussion all by itself, despite its contents. Alternatively, there are a lot of variables as to what makes a statement cover, and what might be instantly deemed a poor jacket. It would be a brave choice to publish a book with a statement jacket. However, if you've done your marketing and research, and you're selling your book in places where audiences would delight in statement jackets, I can't think of a reason why this might be a bad idea. What should you do versus what we're obliged to do? First of all, obliged by whom? Technically, there is no obligation to have a specific style of cover at all. Authors only do it to garner interest and sales, and while that might be your ultimate goal, there's nothing to say that a new style of cover is about to be born. As I said earlier, we've been trained to seek out thrillers with intriguing covers of silhouettes running down alleys or standing alone in wooded areas, and romances where only incredibly attractive men are on the cover, or even chick-lit covers with pastels and floaty text. It's like this as genres can be identified quickly because consumers, despite how much they apparently like to browse, have little time to give to considering their book choices. The question I asked first was, what should you do versus what we're obliged to do? But that requires some unpacking. Firstly, in my mind, while there ought to be a standard of professionalism within book jackets, of course, there ought not be a rigid rule because that can take away from the creativity of the whole writing and publishing process. Secondly, publishing for a set audience also means you're competing for attention. So if your book looks the best with its nice shiny cover, the synopsis is great and its pricing is competitive, chances are you may well garner a sale. However, that's from your point of view. What's to say that from the consumer's point of view, the other book sitting next to it with its non-regimented cover might be a better fit for them? Lastly, the word obliged was used deliberately. I confess I wanted to use an emotive word that might make you, dear listener, sit up and take note or offence, whichever fitted, because often indie authors feel obliged to do that which has been done before so that the consumers stroke reviewers stroke other authors, aka the occasional mean girls and boys, say nice things about your stuff. Influencers and book reviewers have a heavy responsibility on their shoulders, presuming their ego doesn't get in the way. Those who publish their opinions, much like I'm doing right now, into a public forum should do so, in my opinion, only with the view of helping others make an informed decision on whatever the topic is. If they're doing it because they enjoy hearing themselves speak and having a huge audience that hangs on their every word, that's a whole other ball game. So in some ways, doing what has already been done might not get you seen, whereas a unique cover might draw attention in a good way, a fresher way. Told you I might get a bit ranty in this podcast, didn't I? The thing is, while my track record for publishing perfect books is somewhat questionable, I have studied this for many years and I read a lot and I know what attracts me and what doesn't. Surely that's the same with everyone else. Ultimately, my advice is, do you. Just do whatever floats your boat, even if it isn't the same as everyone else's. After all, isn't that why we're creative? Admittedly, I do put a lot more emphasis on being creative than I do on garnering book sales. I don't know, maybe that's why I don't sell a lot of books. 
Ultimately, there are two types of book buyers, those who are already seeking the book and those who are just browsing. I'd like to think the browser might just pick up the uniquely jacketed book rather than follow the sheep. But what do I know? Thanks for listening.